You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, a lighthearted podcast that takes a revealing look at a career in the entertainment industry, featuring stories and conversations with those on stage and backstage, on screen and behind the scenes. To keep up with all the guests and episodes, go to the website, winmepodcast.com. There you will find ways to follow and connect via Twitter and Instagram, as well as ways to support and donate to the podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It. Happy Monday, everyone. I hope you made it through the St. Patrick's Day weekend, had some fun, maybe, <laughs> maybe got a little hungover, but here we are on another Monday, and I'm so glad you're choosing to spend a little time with me here on the podcast. Today I have with me the wonderful Ilana Levine on the show, who has had a long career in Broadway, television, and film. She starred as Lucy in the 1999 Broadway revival of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and has appeared in television shows and films, including The Nanny Diaries, Law and & Order, and the memorable Seinfeld episode, The Contest. But in 2016, she made a transition to hosting her own podcast as well that you might have heard of, Little Known Facts. So in time for my birthday tomorrow, I had the wonderful gift of sitting down with her at the Jen Waldman Studios in Midtown Manhattan to talk about acting, auditioning, and what making it means to her. Alana, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So why don't we just dig right in? For yourself, you've hit kind of all the markers of, of Broadway, of theater, of television, of film. Is there one that kind of draws you back more than the others? You know, I think when you've had the great fortune as I have to do long-running shows, um, and some not long-running shows, but but I've had a few that ran a really long time. And the experience of really being on something with a group of people um, where you really create a family, it's not just a job, but you really are living with these people over months and months in a theater or, or on a set, um, that's 
that's a really extraordinary thing. So I would say the theater in particular kind of matches my desire to connect with people very deeply. Yeah. Um, and you get to rehearse and you get to be make you know mistakes until you find the thing that's going to work and film and television which is very exciting. I mean I grew up watching TV, right? So of the course, idea, yeah. you know, I wasn't uh, you know, I wasn't Mormon. Um, <laughs> not Mormon. Um, who lives in uh, I wasn't Amish is what right, I meant to right. say. I was about to say Mennonite um, but Amish. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So yeah, I feel like it's a huge thing when you get to do your first TV show because you can't believe it. Like if you don't grow up in a in a, in a family that is in this business, it's just like my first TV job was a soap opera. And I used to go home every day after school and watch soap operas with my friends. Hmm. And so the idea that I was on one, it was all heady and crazy. So I would say all of it has a learning curve that's sort of thrilling. Um, but I like to rehearse. And I, and I love that in theater you have the opportunity, if you don't feel amazing about what happened on Tuesday, you get to go back and do it on Wednesday. And in film and television, whatever you do, your favorite take or the moment that you felt was like the most truthful, um, the editor really decides. Right. That right? may or may not be the one they exactly. use. Exactly. Yeah. And it may be the back of your head at that point. You know, like real tears are coming and they're showing your co-star. You're like, wait, I was really <laughs> crying. So, yeah. you know, there's less control. Theater, you own it. I mean, right, you're, right. It's you there, it's and you. and you're saying the lines, you're singing the song, whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah. The you final have to version is yours, and and once the director is gone, stage management obviously continues to give you notes, which is great. But at the end of the day, it's like it's yours, and and your your scene partners. And what does making it mean to you? What has that meant to you in your career? I think that when you find yourself over and over again, getting to work on really incredible material with incredibly creative people uh, and forming the artistic community that you've dreamed of uh, when you originally started out and thought about wanting to become a performer. I feel like for me, that defines uh, making it, getting to do what you love with people you admire and grow from. And has that definition of making it adjusted or changed throughout the years? You know, there have been really um, some really big ticket years where I certainly felt like, oh, I've made it. I'm getting paid a lot of money to be an actress. Which um, certainly helps. It's totally, <laughs> business, it totally, yeah. it totally, um, it makes you feel, uh, I don't know, like you've the right to say you're a professional, right? Yeah. But the irony is that some of the things that paid me weren't always the most satisfying creatively, but obviously gave me a certain um, freedom to do things that I really wanted to do. But the way my career has worked, and I think what I'm learning uh, as I talk to other people who've been around for more than five minutes is that there were lots of times where it was going amazingly well, and then there were times where, where it wasn't. Like yeah, if it, my if you looked at my EKG, it would I wasn't dead, I wasn't flatlining, um, but there were big peaks and valleys. Um, that has certainly been my story. Yeah, and you've gotten a chance to talk to a lot of the people both that you've worked with as yep. well as on your podcast. And has there been like a theme that you've noticed through all the interviews and people that you've talked with? Yeah, I mean I would say every 
person to a person just felt like even if they had to do a million other things to pay the bills, their love was being creative. That was the thing that really um, inspired them each day to go out into the world to create stories and to make stories and to create content that, that um, meant something to them. And so even if it meant, you know, Edie Falco is a perfect example, like Edie waitressed for a really long time, and when she got the pilot of Sopranos, she immediately used that money to put a down payment on an apartment with the assumption that she would never make that kind of money again. So right. at least with her right. one moment of having won the lottery, she'd have like a little crappy studio apartment somewhere um, and set herself up that way. When the show got picked up, it was the most shocking thing to her that she wouldn't go back to waiting tables. So her whole, um, her whole thing was like, I want to make stuff. I want to be a part of a play or whatever opportunities come to me. And the idea that you know she also got paid was just almost absurd. Right, right. It's right. like the thing she loved to do. Um, and her mom was a, a community theater actress, so it wasn't like she had lofty aspirations to be on Broadway or to be a big star. She just loved it. She'd she just always, wanted to do something yeah, she enjoyed. She always loved being around the theater. So I would say to a person, it really is like, this is what I love to do, and I'm going to set a life up where I can do it in whatever way I can. And speaking of that control, have you wanted to get behind the table and also direct, write, and, uh, and produce your own? So when I started out in the city, I was so lucky. One of the first plays I did um, was with a theater company called Naked Angels. And once I kind of became a part of that company, the great joy of it was that you sort of could bring any project you wanted um, and do lots of different jobs in in regard, you know, in that production. So there were certainly things that I got to direct and I got to produce a, a Stephen Belber play called Tape with that company. And it actually went from New York to LA to London, miraculously. Like oh, I was wow. like, great, I guess I should have just been a producer. <laughs> I had quite a journey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I produced, I don't know, Jen Westfeld had done a film called Kissing Jessica Stein. Mm -hmm. And then the next film that she did, which was sort of the continuation was called Ira and Abby. And I produced that with her. I, I was in it, but but I produced it. And to be able to be in a room and say, like, how about we cast Judith Light and Frances Conroy and, you know, all these people that I admired to suddenly go, like, that's who we're going to have in our movie. It's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know for me, that's, that's kind of one of those tick-offs, you know, if you're listing all these definitions of making it, like getting to work with these people that you've looked up to, like, like a Judith Light yeah. or, or anyone like that. It's and she like, was one of the first people who came on my podcast, right? Like, so there's these relationships right, that I saw you her, make. Like, and then like within the first few ones, yeah. She, she legitimized can... me very quickly by, <laughs> by coming on, yeah. And with all of these guests, like, are most of them people you've worked with or have some relationship with? Yes. Or any of them people like, hey, I've heard of you, you've heard of me, we have connection? Um, I would say... Because I've been doing this as long as I've been doing it, one of the lovely things about maturing uh, is that I have basically gone through every company of every play that I've ever done <laughs> over the past 25 years, from 
Charlie Brown to some Neil Simon plays, like Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, you know, I Judith Light from that film. Basically, I've gone through my my your, your Rolodex. iPhone <laughs> <laughs> right, there's not even a Rolodex anymore. So yeah, but your Celia Keenan Bolger, who's a friend of mine, you know, she did it. She had a great time, and then she told her friend Jesse Tyler Ferguson to come on. I didn't know Jesse. We so that's an example of. And then the minute I met him, Celia is such a like glorious human being that of course everyone she's recommended is also like the warmest, nicest, glorious person. So it has happened that way, where. You know, or I, I do a lot of panels at BroadwayCon. Right. Um, I host those or I'm, I'm on them. And that is literally like a Th fishbowl. Talk yeah. about shooting fish <laughs> in a barrel. Like, so you meet everyone. And then you're like, hey, Leslie Margarita, do you want to come on? Sure. So and, I've and met a lot of so people fun. that way. She's so fun. Inspiring. And her message is incredible. And, and yeah, so it's happened in all sorts of ways. Ben Platt and I did a play the year before he did Dear Evan Hansen. Right, so before suddenly, he was Ben yeah, Platt. Yeah, yeah, he was my Ben Platt. Now yeah. he's the universe's Ben Platt. So Yeah, it, and it's so amazing along our journey of performing to see these people, like, like for example, uh, with The Prom, Caitlin Kunin. Uh, she is the, the star, the, the, the amazing, teenager. Yeah. And she's doing so wonderfully. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, please go see it. And I produced a one act like eight years ago and cast her in it. When she was a fetus. When, like when she was a little bitty. <laughs> yeah. You know, she was playing the teenage daughter then right. as well. Right. And and we've kept in touch over the years, but then to see like her finally like hit it big, it's like I was the proud father. It's like I, I remember her. I cast her in this and this and now she's doing this. So I remember the, one of the very first plays I did in New York, Lauren Ambrose, I was playing a teen, although I was in college at the time, but and Lauren Ambrose played my little, little sister. And I adored her. And then she went back to fourth grade. <laughs> and then I turn on the TV and there's, you know, there's this TV show about a funeral home. And I was like, that looks like if Lauren Ambrose had grown up. And there it was. And what do you know? There you know. And then and then there there we are at My Fair Lady and she sings too. So yeah. it's, it is. It's very cool to see the people who... To start so young, like to be a child actor yeah. and to keep doing it and to kind of, you know, transition to adulthood in such a, a seamless, elegant way. She's a perfect example of someone who's been able to do that. And in your own life, what was your childhood experience with theater and going, performing? Going to the theater just as a way to celebrate everything wonderful that ever happened to anyone in our life. I grew up in New Jersey. So that's something I talk a lot about on my podcast with my guests, the difference between having access to seeing Broadway shows up close and, and personal right. versus watching YouTube clips or, or just seeing tours go through your town, which now are as good as the Broadway productions. But um, I grew up in New Jersey, and proximity has a lot to do with why I ended up doing this professionally. But we would come... If there were a birthday or a graduation or whatever it was, my mom would always bring us to see a Broadway show. I don't know. I didn't know anybody who did it. There, there was just nothing about it that even um, sparked any idea that this would be something I would do. And, and so what was that first moment that you stepped foot on stage? Well, the first moment I stepped foot in, on stage was really as part of an acting class here in New York City at the Terry Schreiber Studios. 
I had a crush on a guy. Everything great in my <laughs> life was born out of love. Love, right. <laughs> Real or imagined. And I was getting a haircut, and this guy had a play at his station in the salon, and I realized I'd never seen just a, a play. I mean, I'd seen collections of plays in high school, but I'd never seen like a Samuel French edition oh, right. of yeah, like a the, tennis the script itself. Yeah, yeah, with all his lines highlighted. And I guess in a kind of flirty way, I I must have picked up the play and was like reading it out loud. Um, and he told me that that night they had once a month you could audit a class for free at the Terry Schreiber Studios, like on, you know, the first Wednesday of the month. Yeah. And he was like, hey, I'm going to the studio tonight. Do you want to come and audit? And I literally, my dad's an accountant, so I knew the word audit, but it meant like the IRS was coming to like... <laughs> You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, don't I was so confused. Um, but I was like, yeah, I'll audit. Um, you know, I was like 19. And... I never left. And I don't know, at that point, it certainly wasn't that I intended to become a professional actress, but I just had one of those, if it were a Disney movie, like angels would start singing and it's like, yeah. oh, look, here are the my sun, people. The sunshine came yes. through the window and it's like, this is it. It was right here the whole time? Oh my God, I was in the wrong room. Yeah. Um, and people were doing like emotional recall exercises oh, and right. I literally... I did not know what was going on. I'm sure on. it was a little overwhelming. It was a little overwhelming. Time. But I remember thinking, aside from being astonished at the way the teacher kind of coached people through these experiences, more than the beauty of that vulnerability that each artist was exhibiting was the support everyone in the room was giving them. Sort of this way in which everyone was... It's where I learned about criticism, right? Like, find the positive first. Everyone was starting from this place of positivity. And only after they made the person feel that they'd accomplished great things would they talk about, like, maybe next time. Right. What the if you worked tweaks. on this yeah. or that? And then hearing the teacher talk about, like, oh, what you just did, Jasper, you could think about, like, Summer and Smoke and how you can use that in the play. Like, it was like, what? Of course, I didn't know the language, but it turns out the way some people are really good at learning foreign languages, I, I had an ear for whatever this was, and it changed my whole life. Going to that studio, it made me want to go to college and major in theater, again, not knowing what that would mean after college, and then that was my first community of people. I went to school and... Uh, an actor named John Benjamin Hickey was a senior at the time, and he has gone on to win Tonys and be, you know, but he was like my first friend at that school. Wow. Kind of took me under his wing, and um, yeah, it made me decide to go to college in New York City. I loved fame growing up. The show, right? I, I remember Fordham watching University. the TV show. Yes, was right by the Lincoln Center. That's literally why I chose where I went to college. It was like, oh, that's the opening credits from Fame. Like, <laughs> I, I want to go to there. <laughs> I did, I did, and it turned out to be a great choice. So, as you moved forward, when did it come upon you, like, oh, I can do this for a living? I'm now going to pursue and make it whatever that's going to be. So I, I was very fortunate. One of my teachers at Fordham University, at the Lincoln Center campus, 
uh, was involved in a theater company which no longer exists anymore, but incredible playwrights like Lanford Wilson and others were, were born and kind of curated their work in this think tank called Circle Repertory. Right. Um, and so some of us were invited to be part of like a, a lab company there. I think I had to audition. I think you had to be invited to audition. Um, I remember inviting my friend from acting class, Connie Shulman, who now plays Yoga Jones on Orange is the New Black. She auditioned with me and I got in and she didn't and it was devastating that my friend didn't get it's, in with me. It's, it's always so devastating. And she's super famous, to, so right? they were wrong. But, but, but in those moments, we think so much of those devastating moments. Because I, like for me, my biggest one came in junior high, where I, the, the high school was doing Sound and Music, but obviously they needed children. So they came to the junior high and looking for kids. And so I auditioned to be in the Sound of Music in the high school, and they chose this other guy. <gasps> I mean, and I was kind of bratty about it too, because I didn't think he sang as good. Sure, and you I didn't. And I was just so upset, and I, I would make little snide comments to him. I was, I was so awful because it meant everything, and because I didn't get it, I was, I was devastated. Of course, Rory O'Malley, um, who has also, we've kind of each interviewed each other for each other's podcasts, and he, his podcast is called Living the Dream. Yes, and yes, I I've love heard him his. so much, and and go listen to Rory O'Malley, but he talks about kind of even being younger than you. I guess he was in elementary school and he was big into community theater in his town. And he heard about an audition at like a bigger community theater. I maybe misremembered, but basically he's like, I'm not going to tell anyone else, right? He was not going to tell people about it because he didn't want anyone else to get the part. And of course he got to the audition and every little boy from his They're other- They're all there, of course. Yes. <laughs> and he felt so awful about it. But there's that, he was like, when I think back to my childhood, that still is sort of one of those things. I was so ambitious that I didn't want to share information with other people. And we talked about like how great it is when that stuff happens early on because he realized that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that person. Neither of us, none of them ended up getting it anyway. So it, it didn't even matter, but just this idea. And I think those early messages really stick with you in terms of who do you want to be? How do I want to be in this community? When there's this idea of there being a seat at the table for everyone, but it isn't always true that there's a seat at the table for everyone, but how do you manage all that and negotiate all that. And it starts really early. Those seeds are planted in terms of how am I going to be ambitious, which is totally not a bad word, right. um, but generous at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's finding that balance. And, yeah. I, and I think, as you said, as we discover these lessons, both good and bad, along yeah. the way, we kind of figure out the kind of actor we want to be, the kind of just person yeah. we want to be in dealing with others. And so on your your journey right. of that, what did you find was was kind of holding you back or kind of keeping you from, from being the best actress or just being the best uh, fellow performer that you could be? First of all, to answer best actress, um, still working on that, right? <laughs> it's, it's a continuation. It's a, it's, a learning, it's a learning process. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's always like, it's exciting to be in a career. Not everything has this where you... It's not like you start in lower management and end up in upper management and then you're done, right? The exciting and hard part about being in the arts is that there's not like a clear ladder that you go up rung by rung and then you've made it. Like 
for me, I went up a couple of rungs, I fell to the bottom, then I got to the top. Like it is a very fluid sort of thing for most people. Absolutely. Um, so I think the exciting thing is you're always learning. And so all you can do is be the best actress you are on any given day and hope that it pleases the people that, you know, the writer mostly. Right. For me, it's all yeah. about the writer. Am I, am I who he or she imagined? And am I telling the story in the way that they had hoped? But I would say that meeting John Benjamin Hickey early on, like people who were just so talented, filled with integrity and warmth. My university, it was such a welcoming program. And now that I've had 140 guests on my show and, you know, not everybody feels that way. Not everyone's had that experience in, in their university theater program. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like they were pigeonholed really early on and it took them a very long time to shed that from their own thought about themselves and what they're capable of. Um, you know, people often are cast as the star show after show after show in college. Most of them aren't even doing it anymore, right? right? There's right. this way in which you're like, well, Kelly's doing it. I'm never going to do it. And then, then you get out in the real world and it's all bets are off. Yeah. It's, it's an even playing field. You, you really start back at zero again. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, you go through high school, you get known there, start over right. again, college. And then you kind of build up, start over again. You move to New York or L.A. or just doing your community theater where you live. And it's all about kind of starting over again. And it, 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 as you were saying, it, it really is, th th there's no ladder. There's no stair step to success. It's kind of this constant ebb and flow, just kind of a... I mean, you know, a roller coaster. It really is. But I would say that the thing that you hear, it's so cliche, like be nice to everyone, but it's really, really true. Like one of the first people I met when I got into that lab company, Circle Rep Lab, was a guy named Joe Mantello, right? So yeah. Joe Mantello, Google it. <laughs> if <laughs> you're in the theater. He's done a few things. Right, yeah. like, so, and then a writer named Peter Hedges and... You know, there were all these people at that time who were old elder statesmen in the company, but, you know, you never know, you never know who's going to end up being in the position to hire you or to collaborate with you. And, and that was very lucky for me that early on, I just met these people who were so talented and we liked each other. And then we were able to, you know, move on together yeah. or wait tables together, you know. And then the person I waited tables with became an assistant to the casting director who cast the really teeny parts on soap operas, the yeah. under fives. That's how I got my start in soaps, like yeah, the bartender who left and, you know, assisted. It's always the most random connections that, that sometimes... Tip the bartender be. really well <laughs> because I was very generous. And then when he became the assistant, he brought he me in. He remembered. Yeah. Yes. So along that path, as you were kind of getting started, and, and, and maybe even now, have there been moments where it's like, you know, maybe you hit that, that ground floor again, and it just kind of stayed there a while, and you're like, well, okay, I, I'm going to move on to something else. I don't know if I can continue to do this. You know, the thing about theater, or it's like every time you think you're out, they get you back in, right? Like, there. well, one thing that I was really fortunate to be a part of is a theater company where I could always 
do work. This is different from getting paid to do work, but I always had a right. place to make things. Um, that, you know, whenever I do master classes or I'm asked to teach, uh, asked, asked to come in and just talk about like the business part of all of this, it really is like find a place to get to do what you love to do that no one else has control of. Yeah. And so I would say even when I, you know, maybe had to go back to doing a money job, um, I always had a place to do the theater. Yeah. And that, yeah. so I didn't have to make that decision. I guess to answer that, it wasn't like I set up my life that I can only act or do something else. Yeah. I, I set up my life that those things intersected all the time. And I would find, you know, so I produced a movie or produced a play. Like I found ways to be around it. Some people are tortured by it. Some people, it's too painful to not be doing the thing. Yeah, yeah. And that was never me. I was always interested in every aspect. It's not like I grew up like, I'm going to be an actress when I grow up. I just happened into it. And so every job on every set is equally fascinating to me. Yeah, it's that old thing of, uh, that old saying of, you know, if you could do anything else, well, then go do it because then acting is not for you. And, and I... I think that that really limits what what a person can do and right. who they can be whenever you say that. Because, yes, as, as you discovered, theater and just performing, producing, whatever outlet, whatever creative outlet you found was something that you enjoyed and you pursued those in addition to all the other money-making jobs or other things along the way. And I think it's so important that we have that well-roundedness. I also am like a squirrel. When I do have the great fortune of a paycheck, I am not, I'm very like, I hoard those acorns and I, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not frivolous. It's not to say that I don't get excited and maybe like there's a nice purchase of some kind. Of course. But I have always felt like we are gypsies and who knows when, you know, we're going to have to pack up our tent and move it along. So. Yeah, I think that's one of the the biggest things that I learned from uh, when I finally did my first tour. It it actually taught me a couple of things. Back to what we were saying. What about, was your first tour? It was the Adams Family. Uh huh. And so doing that taught me two things. One that we were talking about before about being nice to people because they were looking for people that could be around each other twenty four seven. Not not just sing and act and dance, but actually be real human beings and friends and, you know, colleagues that can work together in, you know, <laughs> in bad Everywhere. weather, in good weather, in, <laughs> Big in, towns, in small shitty towns. venues, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that really taught me that, oh, my attitude and how I present myself is just as important as hitting that, that high note. You and know? your reputation, you Absolutely. know, precedes you. So I feel like, especially in those, in those tours, right? Like people talk mm-hmm. and if somebody's a jerk, they're not, there's a lot of talented people out there. So yeah, you're going to be an asshole. You better be irreplaceable. <laughs> you better be the only one who can do what you're doing. Because I was surprised what makes it onto those show notes that stage managers and company managers write that go out to all the producers and casting direct. Yeah, I mean, anything can be in those notes yeah. and you never know. But But the second thing, as we were mentioning, is that kind of shoring up money it's like oh i'm making money right now so i started investing i started saving i started because i i don't know when my you know drought is going to happen when we did your good man charlie brown before we came to new york i remember Kristen chenoweth and kim grigsby 
who was our musical director, would room together, you know, as right. we went from hotel. And I was like, would never have even occurred to me. Now, I had never done a tour before. This was, the, this was my one musical. That wasn't my life. But that was so... By the way, after Charlie Brown, Kristen Chenoweth never had to share a room with anybody ever again, right. other than those she wanted to. Yeah. Um, but I remember like, oh, I learned that from them. Like find someone who you can even not just be on the road with, share a room with. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we paid for, I guess we did. I guess we were given an allotment. I was trying to think, like, did they not pay for our hotel room? Yeah, I'm not sure what it was back then, but I know yeah. when I was on tour with the Adams Family, it was, you're you're given a certain allotment per week, right. and then you can use and that. And you can choose which hotel. To, there were, like, tiers of ho right. housing and things like that. Yeah. Anyway, maybe they just really liked each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, and again, it is a good way to save money because then you're you're splitting the cost of the room. So or I mean, maybe Grigsby gave her some special notes, and that's why she won the Tony. Right. That see, it's, a, it's all <laughs> see. It's all these little tricks yes. that you have to like figure. Share see, the room I, with a conductor on the road. There you go. Exactly. Right. Well, well, I mean, and I'm sure that you found this out that there are certain people within the theater, within the production, that you never want to piss off. For me, I discovered it was sound and costumes. Those are the two people that you want to have a good relationship with because you want to sound good and, and you look want, pretty. And look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want them like turning your mic off. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what happened. It, yeah. yeah something did, to... did your solo not come out? <laughs> oh, Weird. Could, you, could people not hear you? <laughs> Good advice. Little known fact. <laughs> right, right. So, so when it comes to um, performing for stage and screen, how have you blended those two? Because, you know, certainly in a lot of classes we hear about, you know, there's this one technique for stage, one technique for camera. How have you found a blending of those? It's such an interesting thing. It's so hard to be articulate about this stuff because really it's just, you have to experience it. It's why people take on camera classes, right? So they can really see because the really idea of like, different. oh, the camera sees into your eyes and like, like, does it? Does it see into your brain? Um, I would say that really the difference is the distance between the audience that you're trying to reach, right? Like, so when you're doing a play in a, in a big house, your job uh, is, is for the people in the third mezzanine to be able to experience the play fully. Right. Um, whereas the work, that work is done for you by the camera. So it's really like the intentions are the same and the work is the same and all the homework you do on the script is exactly the same. But you don't have to reach like the very back of the theater. And I think it's like modulating your performance for the size of, of the room you're doing it in, almost. I don't know if that makes sense. It's hard to be articulate about it. No, I was just going to say, as you were saying, it really is an experiential thing, like like being on stage or being in front of a camera. But then is, a sitcom, is... like Seinfeld that you mentioned earlier, yeah. exactly like being in a play. It's <laughs> it's You have to, like, there's laugh lines and there's mm -hmm. a rhythm and you hold for laughs. I mean, it really, you know, there are certain televised things that you do on film that feel exactly the same as especially being with in a that live play. audience yeah so so there is um there is less delineation in that way but it's really nice to to know that you can just be in the moment um 
and not have to add larger gestures so that everyone, you know, gets it in the back row. There is something really nice about the intimacy of a camera. Right. And the camera is just another scene partner. Like, that's all. It's mm. just one more. It's like another set of eyes. You're looking into your co-star's eyes. You're looking into the camera's eyes. It's the same. Yeah. I, I guess that's how I think of it. And, you know, it's not like you're talking to Julianne Moore, who's done 22 films. I've done a few films. Right. But that's been my... Um, and I also just feel like, yeah, like there's no right or wrong way to do anything. And you just hope that whatever medium you're working in, there's a director who is able to take it in and, and help. Like you're not alone. There's yeah. a director, yeah. you know, like there's people to help. So so with these auditions, do you sometimes, as as actors, we certainly judge ourselves on our last audition. We judge ourselves, you know, in, in the moment. We're like reading the lines and we're judging, oh, this is going well, or oh, wh why am I saying? Do you still have those voices inside you? Oh my God, <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I was just thinking the other day, like, oh my God, how long have I been doing this? And I'm still feeling like, I have to like give myself emotional rewards. Like, okay, you're gonna go to Telsey's office and that's a, a New York City casting director. And then as soon as we're done, we're gonna like go to H&M and we're gonna get a shirt. <laughs> so just go in. The smallest thing. Yes, like I, give, I literally like, like, like um, a, a child actor who doesn't want to do it and the mother's like, I'll buy you a lollipop if you just do it. Like we'll literally, go get pizza after. it's all going to be over in 10 minutes. Like all, all I'm asking you to do, Alana, I literally talk to myself in third person, like I'm just going to ask you to go in. We're going to do it. We're going to go out. Like literally, I've been doing the same things. But I remember early on, there's, there's a guy named Fisher Stevens who was like a, you know, worked all the time when I was first starting and now he's producing extraordinary films. Um, and I remember, I guess it was Fisher who told me like, every time he walked into the room, he pretended that he was about to go on Letterman. Like when, he, that, that energy, mm. like I'm going on Letterman and uh, I'm gonna tell Letterman about this movie I just did. And I'm going to just tell him the scene. Like, he just would come, you know, and I was yeah. like, wow. And I tried that a couple of times. And I was like, all right, not, that's not my thing. <laughs> but there was something about, like, whatever you need to do, obviously you need to prepare and know your lines and warm up vocally if you're about but, to sing. But, but, but there is that emotional yeah. element, which I think what he was trying to tap into with He's that. like, I, I'm the star. I'm going in on Letterman, and I'm just telling them about this play called... The Adams family. Right. Right. And I thought it's just so funny, like, whatever works, whatever works. And there's been elements of all sorts of things like that that I've used to, you know, psych myself up for the experience from that to, you know, um, thinking of it as a rehearsal. Right. Yeah. Right. Rather right. like the, the thing that I remember, I think my friend Talia Balsam just said it, and she's someone, her mom is Joyce Van Patten, and her father was Martin Balsam. Like she, Dick Van Patten and is her uncle, and yeah. Tim Van Patten, you know, all these people, unlike my accounting family, she comes <laughs> from a, and it really was like, you're just going in and giving them your take on it. So there's no right or wrong. It's just... Which, which is so important because we as actors think there's only one right. Right. And, and we have to go in and deliver that or we've messed up. you can't guess what it is. I know. Yeah, there's no way. I was just at a thing yesterday with, where Brian Stokes Mitchell told a story about literally the person who got it 
fit into the costume of the person they were replacing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. There's no way the 25 actresses who went in that day had any idea that they were immediately non-candidates because of their height or their weight. Like just things they had zero control over. Yeah. Now, would it have been nice if the breakdown said five, six, one twenty? You know, it must be right. Yes. And obviously, they can't do that. But they don't know that they didn't get it because literally they wouldn't fit the costume. So there's so many things that we don't know, yeah. which is why all you can do is what I do, which is, and this is, I'm sorry to say, I am a recycler, but I literally put my sides like I throw them away the minute you, like you, you toss them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. it's done I did it it felt great I just shot the scene and now I'm done and if yeah. they want me to come do it again I'll print it you again print it and I feel kid. awful just from an environmental perspective but psychologically nothing makes me happier than to have to reprint the size no there is something to be said for kind of cleansing yourself for for putting like okay stop that's pushed aside I did my moving work. on yeah, yeah I did it yeah, yeah, because I, I took a class with uh, Joanna Gleason, mm -hmm. and one of the the nuggets that I took from that, but probably the the best thing she, you know, that I took from it was that she said you're going to have crappy auditions, and so give yourself twenty minutes to beat yourself up, to say horrible things, to be like what the, you know, and go through that, and then be done. Set a timer. Right, right. Like you have twenty minutes to just like be sad, be angry, be disappointed, and then then you're done. Get on with your day. Well, that is easier said than done. Much easier. But what a great thing to aspire to. Yeah, it is something. Because I love her. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but there's still like that audition three years ago that some random thing will pop it into my brain. I'll be like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that audition. I, I didn't get that. Because I, I messed up in there. And then you replay, you remember that whole audition and what you did wrong. And But the thing that's so awesome is that, you know, I mean, I feel like at this point, I'll have a conversation with that person who I auditioned for, and they're like, oh my God, you were amazing. We already had an offer out. Like, you're like, oh, oh, Sarah Jessica, but oh, okay. So, so that thing uh, that you've been holding on to, like, by the way, you were amazing. And, and you know, like, I've now produced enough and directed enough where I've had the um, experience of being on the other side of the table. And I will see someone beating themselves up, or you see that moment where they think they've the, not accomplished right, what they set failing. out to do. Yeah. By the way, they weren't. They weren't until they told me they were, right? Like, I actually thought they were amazing. I don't know what they had expected of themselves. And so that's the other thing I learned from having the great... By the way, be readers. Whoever's listening, if you ever get a chance to be a reader in an audition, I did that early on a lot. It was the most illuminating because it really is about coming in with an openness. Look, sometimes you get the thing on Tuesday and you're only so prepared for Wednesday, right? right. Like life exactly. happens. Yeah. We all know that. So don't come in and start telling everybody like, I just got it. Guess what? Everybody just got it. Right. We know. We emailed <laughs> we know. it to you. We, we remember. Just got, we as casting directors just got the script too. <laughs> We're frustrated. Yeah. Right. But like there really is this amazing thing you see where everyone is kind of amazing until they decide they're not. And that changes and shifts like the whole 
energy of the room. So I have certainly learned whatever's going on inside of me, do not share that with anyone. I've I've had two auditions where where that where that happened. And it and it, it really is. It like demoralizes you, but I can only imagine what it does to the person behind the table. Because you know, yeah, we're all not gonna be hundred percent every day, but at the same time, just do it, even your eighty percent, and then get out. Yeah. I don't need to comment. Nope. I actually said shit in an audition one time because I, I messed up the side. Right. And, and then the director, Warren Carlyle, had me do it over again. And I was just like, I mean, I, I look back and I'm going, what was the matter with me? But that's the <laughs> other thing. Like what you were, you were just being a human being. Yeah. That's all. And you know what? That human being at that moment at that time was bummed out that something he'd worked really hard on, that you flubbed the line. Yeah. You were bummed yeah. about that. What are you going to do? <laughs> Nothing. Right. Except remember it four years later and be like, I said shit at the thing. I know. It's funny. Yeah. If I ever meet him again, he'll be like, for Nothing. him, he won't remember it all. No. It's... What if he does? He's like, I remember you. Yes. You cursed. Right. <laughs> remember you said shit. You would have gotten it. Except you said that Until one you said word. Shit, I know. And then I couldn't. It's also <laughs> stupid, isn't it? It's so stupid. I know. The, the things that we go. But and, and so you mentioned that you've been behind the table directing. And so how has that been, you know, now working with actors, you know, having been one yourself and still one yourself? Uh, I love it. I love it. I mean, I really do. I feel like, A, what a relief, right? It is, let me just say this, it's so much better on that side. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure directors have their own pressures, but not as much as the, the actor you would Just to find say. the person, right? You're, there's pressure on you to find the right person because as we know, 90% of what makes a successful anything is casting the right people. So obviously the pressure is to, to do well by the piece. Right. But no, it's absolutely from not worrying about what you look like to not worrying about saying a bad word because you're not feeling good. For me, it's um it's such a reminder about the beauty and the humanity of what actors do, right? Like it it just the great news is, the, and by the way, I'm not a director, so it's not like this is my new calling and I do it all the time, but it really is a wonderful thing uh, to do everything you can to give someone space to be wonderful. The thing mm -hmm. that I've loved about producing or doing anything in this career besides acting is just like, what do you need to be the best you can be, right? So for every department, you're doing costumes, how can I help? You're doing... You know, you're doing craft services. What can I go to Costco for you? Yeah. Like, how do you create a room? And that's to me the one thing that's unforgivable. Anyone who doesn't create an audition room where everyone, for the time that they're in that room, feels 100% respected, appreciated, and welcomed to yeah. the party. Yeah. Like, no. It really is amazing how many casting directors, and it's not a lot, but there are just a few that are buried into their computer or they're, they're chit-chatting with the person next to him. And, and, and I get that business has to go on, but like, I'm just here for 60, 90 seconds. Can, can I just have your attention, please? Of course. It, and it's rare that those things happen. Right. I mean, it, it is rare that you're in a room with casting directors who you're like, I'm sorry, do you hate actors? <laughs> I feel like you're... Have I, am I imposing? <laughs> Should sorry. I walk out and come yeah. back in? But I, look, I, humor is just such a great 
icebreaker. And if, and if you're lucky enough to just be funny, have a natural ability to be funny, it really is a great, um, a great asset, both in terms of how you get over things, um, but also just having, oh my god, all I do is laugh at myself. That's all I can do. Like I will literally walk out going, oh my god. Well, you just did that. That's hilarious. That happened. Let's go to H&M. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I may have to steal that H&M idea. I love that. Because for like 10 bucks, right, you can right. get For $9.99, I can just forget about That's what right. I just did. And, That's and, right. and you know what? And even if you don't buy anything, just the act of like looking around, looking, you know, just shopping. Just you know, knowing that it, there's something for me, on the other for side. For me, it's, it's food. Like, like, like having, you know, that one or two things that always make me happy no matter what's going on uh-huh. I, d- I i tend to to go for food you know if, if i've had a really crappy day it's like damn it i'm i'm gonna go get some pizza or whatever right. it is yeah it just changes my mood yeah so as you go forward you've mentioned you've cast a wide net you know producing and directing and acting and what do you see going forward for yourself like like what what is it that keeps you here and I keep think going that this podcast, which really came out of left field for me, um, I always loved, it's funny, I've had a chance to do a few radio plays uh, in my life, just these really interesting experiences, kind of working with a mic, and I've done a lot of voiceover and some books on tape, and I always really loved the audio experience and telling stories in that way, and by the way, listener, we're right next to an acting class. If right. you hear stuff, it's awesome. Right, right, right. It's, at, it's at the great. Jim Studios, You're it is hearing, an active studio. Yes, it's great. Um, it's so real. I, uh, I guess the conversations that I've been having, the, these kind of creative conversations about art and struggle and process, um, have now entered this new phase with, aside from the podcast, I'm doing a lot of live events, which are incredibly satisfying um, and are kind of moving the podcast into back onto the stage in some weird way. Right, right. Isn't um, that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Because like some of the podcasts that I listen to are now having like stage events. They're, they're going on tour. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. And so that's been happening to my podcast and... And if you listen, you can hear when, you know, we're not pretending they're not live and right. there's audience participation. So that's been exciting to kind of move it back onto the stage. And I and I do a series of them at the Atlantic Theater Company in, oh, in right, New York right. City, where which is one of the first theaters I ever worked at when I came to New York. So it's kind of coming full circle. Um, I've always been someone who just happily says yes to the things that are presented to me um, if they feel safe financially, physically, and emotionally. Um, and so right now, having conversations with people who I am really inspired by and getting to share those people globally, because you can listen to a podcast you know, anywhere, anywhere um, is really wonderful. And uh, that's... That's where I am right now. It's been incredibly satisfying, and um, I'm sure I will do another play, and I'm sure I'll do, you know, episodes of TV shows that shoot in New York, but I have kids, and um, 
it's really wonderful having found something that I can control the hours. And that's right. what this podcast has afforded to me, afforded me. And, um, cause I assume in the beginning it was difficult to balance that family life. With yeah. The I mean, I did a play, you know, I love doing plays, but you are out every night. And so that was, um, that was painful. Not painful enough not to do it, because I also really loved it and loved doing it. But so, so far, I've been able to find ways to kind of do both. And by the way, as much as it was hard for me to be away from them, for your kids to come see you in a play, it's, I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. It must be a thrill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, anyway. Yeah, 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 because whenever I have family come, it it, it kind of pumps up your performance that night you're, you're just you're, you're on a different level and yeah. so you just kind of bring different things and, and, and also like it's one thing they hear about it but like that you know sometimes we do things they can't see like they're not appropriate you know my husband's done 17 movies and tv shows that were like when you're older right, <laughs> right. and then they sneak and see them anyway yeah. um i wasn't going to let my kids watch seinfeld you know because the contest is all about the contest right and then my daughter and i are on an airplane and I see her like, you know how you can move the screen a little bit? Like, so it's facing. Yeah. And she's like, Mom, Mom, I just watched it. I just watched Seinfeld. So she saw it on the plane. <laughs> and I was right there next to her, and I didn't even notice. I was probably That's watching funny. The Notebook for the 20th time. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, she saw it. What, what is it that you do watch for, you know, that, that either inspires you or that is like your, your comfort? This is really crazy, but I just started with all the stuff that's out there. I've been watching Downton Abbey again. I don't know why. Right. Um, I went to an exhibit recently. They had like the Downton Abbey exhibit of all the clothes and and sort of all of the period stuff. And um, that is something. I mean, I watch a tremendous amount of television. I can't pretend I don't. But no, I, I'm, I'm the same way. To, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but there's something about finding a family, finding that, that group of people that you relate to. That's, it's like, it's like your home on screen kind of thing. And in this culture right now, I don't know, there's something very, I mean, I watch Homeland. I watch a lot of shows that go on hiatus and then, and then come back. I watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I mean, I've been watching. I just started watching that. Oh my gosh. I loved it. Binged it. It was great. Yes. And so I finished it, and then I was like, "Oh, there's a there's a British show called Catastrophe that I love, I've heard also of that on one. hiatus." So for some reason, I was on Amazon or something, and Downton popped up, and so I was like, "Oh, yeah, there it is." Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's and it's also nice to go back to those things that you've seen before, yep. and and remember those little moments or, but or I the love scenes. British. Yeah. I mean, The Crown. Have you been watching The Crown? I love I, that. I've heard it's wonderful, but no, I've I've yet it's to great. see that. So I've been watch. I've been really binge watching a lot of also British content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that that really is like I mean, really is foreign to us. A, a lot of that either a period piece or just you know what it's like to live in London or Yorkshire or wherever they are. I just um I just interviewed Harry Haddon Payton, who plays Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady on Broadway right now. And he'd been in Undoubt Nabby and The Crown and all these British shows. And I found out that Sarah, the Duchess of York, Fergie, right. is his godmother. And I literally was like, I'm sorry, we're going to get to My Fair Lady in a minute. Wait, but hold, I, hold that thought. It's obsessed. I was like, I know you must think it's crazy, but I'm, we are quite obsessed over here with those So then is of... he like part royal now? No, it turns out, it's, well, I guess he is, by, it turns out 
his mom and Fergie like worked in a store together before she met Prince Andrew. So it wasn't that he was sort of, you know, a, a, a descendant of the Spencers, but that he, his mom's like best friend married. It's kind of like if Meghan Markle's best friend, you know, suddenly yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, right. right. But literally, I was like, what is wrong with me? It was like Real Housewives of London. <laughs> like I was, he was like, I was like, we're gonna get to yes, your greatest Henry Higgins. Right, right. I'm sure you have a beautiful yes. voice. But back to this godparent <laughs> thing. What is going yes. on there? But he was. It's really fun hearing him kind of talk about that world and and what it was like. And Beatrice and Eugenie had come to see the show and whatever. I'm still well, talking about it. Well, well no, it's it, it is kind of crazy. Like because the the theater and and I and I assume even in the TV world, it's it's a very small little bubble. Yeah. And it's like that six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know yeah. how, how how many people can, can you can you? So get, now I'm wait. pretty close to Sarah. Sarah, right, uh, right to Fergie because Harry and I are good friends now. So what do you want to know? Well, well I got it all there. <laughs> you, you know all. You're, you're yeah. in with the royals I'm now. I'm so there. Well, and I just found out I'm now one. What, okay, so if you know someone who knows someone, then that's two degrees, or I is guess that one? So. Is that the I one degree? I did not know there was going to be math. So. <laughs> right. So so let's just go. I I found out though that I'm one person away. Let's put it that way. From Jonathan Larson mm -hmm. of Rent. I did not know this until just recently. I worked with a lyricist who I just found out was like one of his best friends before oh. Jonathan Larson wrote Rent and was yeah. was who he was. Like they were best friends, and I didn't even know this. I'm like. Well, I worked with that writer who worked and Today's was best his friends birthday. with. Today's Jonathan Larson's birthday. That's right. As we That's record right. this, yeah. Yeah. It's see, all collides. Worlds collide. Exactly. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's Fergie's birthday. <laughs> you know, somewhere. I bet it is. Somewhere, a royal is having a birthday. I agree. Happy birthday, royal. There you go. Yeah. Alana, thank you so much for joining me. This has been just a hoot to have you on, and and thank you so much for sharing your story. Of course, it was my pleasure. As always, thank you for joining me on this episode, and don't forget to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Currently, this podcast has five stars, which I am so grateful for. And if you enjoy listening to these stories and interviews as much as I love being a part of them, then consider going to the website winmepodcast.com and making a donation to help further these conversations. Until next time, keep making it, and I'll see you then. Hey Siri, subscribe to Why I'll Never Make It podcast. Just to confirm, would you like to subscribe to the podcast Why I'll Never Make It by Patrick Oliver Jones? Yes. Okay, I've subscribed you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.